Hello and welcome to Thank You Come Again. This is an e-commerce podcast sponsored by Wonderment, where we dive into the actual strategies that leading D2C brands are using to not only make their customers come back and buy again, but have the best possible customer experiences. I'm Blake and Burl. I started my career as a retention marketer, and now I'm focused on being a shepherd of knowledge for you and others on all things retention marketing. You won't find any top 10 guru guides here. Instead, I want you to walk away from each episode with battle-tested and actionable insights that's going to help you to move a needle forward and driving repeat business. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Thank You, Come Again. Today, I've got the pleasure of being joined by not just one, but two of the brightest minds in the D2C space, and it's Joanne Coffey and Eli Weiss of Jones Road Beauty. Welcome to Michelle, y'all. How are you? Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. We're excited. I'm excited, too. This uh, this has been a long time coming, so really excited to dive in. Um, So I want to set the stage a little bit for today's discussion, and we're going to be chatting about something that's been on the top of my mind since I started in D2C several years back, and that's sort of the convergence of customer experience or CX and marketing teams. We're going to be learning more about how Joanne and Eli approach collaborating at Jones Road Beauty, the advice they might have for improving these two teams at your own brand, and then maybe even get into some friendly debate along the way, but we'll see where that goes. But first, I'd love to let you introduce yourselves and Jones Road as well. So Joanne, I'll kick it over to you first. Who is Joanne Coffey? (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I have been working in the D2C space for about three to four years now. Um, I started in email marketing, then went to SMS marketing, then tackled retention as a whole. I've been working at Jones Road for about a year now. It'll be a year in January. I am the assistant manager of retention marketing. So I handle all things email, SMS, quiz building, that all comes under my, my branch. And I have been working with Eli for about seven months now. It has been incredible. I have learned so much from him. He's been a fantastic mentor. And the two of us are really tackling retention at Jones Road. Love it. Uh, Eli, who, who's Eli Weiss? Let's, uh, let's get oh, an intro of you. <laughs> um, Joanne, I describe Joanne as like the single, the single-handed leader of my imposter syndrome. Like I look <laughs> at her three years in and I'm like, what the hell have I been doing? Um, it's... It's been, I think, almost eight years. Um, I have like a non-traditional story, no real education. Uh, started my career in, in D2C at a Kickstarter luggage brand and then kind of forayed into uh, food and beverage, was at Nugged, which is now Simulate, then was at Olipop for a little bit and joined the beauty side of things, um, like, I don't know, eight, nine months ago, uh, beginning, I guess, beginning of March. Um, and I'm kind of leading on all things CX and, and retention. And and that's always been a dream for me is like, how can we, and this is what we'll be talking about more in this podcast, but it's like, how can we kind of combine those two worlds together? Because I do think that they should be closer than they usually are. Um, so this is a, it's going to be an exciting conversation. I'm super stoked to dive into it. And I, I got to ask, did you guys know each other before uh, coming together at Jones Road or what was that sort of uh, relationship like? I was a Joanne fan. Okay. <laughs> I was an Eli fan. That's Eli ghosted truth. me for about four months before we finally jumped on the call and, <laughs> and talked. But granted, he did have a baby, so it was it was warranted. But um, yeah, he did leave me on red for about four months. This is true. <laughs> Guilty. Um, no, we we knew each other from the Twitter kind of D to C world. Um, I'm always like being somebody that doesn't have 40 years of experience or education, I'm always enthralled by people that have a chip on their shoulder and, and operate at a super high degree. And I think, you know, being in the in the kind of email marketing retention world, most marketers are very much like just spam, look at my own KPIs and just kind of click send as many times as I can. And I think Joanne was one of those people that I saw on Twitter just being very intentional with marketing, which is so rare and something that as a CX slash retention person, I'm excited about. So we we were in the same universe for a while. Um, we connected again, like she said, I ghosted her for four months um, <laughs> when I when I had a kid and I was like, OK, I can't do any calls right now. But when we did, re- we did reconnect. Um, that was the day that she connected with Cody about the Jones Road job. And a couple of it months later, it was a weird, a weird uh a weird coincidence, but yeah, because um, I had a call, I think, with Eli at eleven, and then I had a call with Cody at two, 
And so I was like, I'm about to jump on this call with Cody from Jones Road. Like, this could be a really crazy career move. What do you think? And Eli was like, well, Cody's in my network. Like, let me shoot him a DM. And so he kind of really backed Cody's, you know, confidence in hiring me. And so that's how it all went down. And this is months before I joined. So I had yeah. no idea that I'd ever end up in beauty. So I think it was a, it was a wild it was coincidence, but it was, and it's, it's been, it's been so exciting because I, I've always dreamed about a universe. Like I said before, I've always dreamed about a universe where, where CX and, and, and retention converge in, in this way of just like being thoughtful, everything from like pre-purchase on the, on the growth side, but also kind of foraying into, you know, post-purchase welcome flow like being thoughtful around like what are the customer concerns and and joanne sits so closely to the cx team which is such a weird phenomenon that it, it sounds like it's a no-brainer but um yeah. it wasn't something it, that we did at jones before eli got there it was kind of just me here in this role for about four or five months just trying to figure it out on my own and really when things shifted was when eli came in and merged the two teams together and I think that that was really when things started to change for our customer base and for our retention as a whole. That's awesome. And I, I, I gotta, I gotta back up and just comment on the Twitter <laughs> matchmaking story. I love that. I think that that's um, one of the beautiful things about D 2 C Twitter, I think as well is um, you know, just like so much knowledge being shared, but so many like connections being made too, and then folks joining together and working together too. And for you both to share the same mindset, that's a, that's a pretty special thing, I think. And also a big superpower of, I think why the two of you probably, have been able to work so well together. Um, well, I think let's dive into it. I think you guys are already kind of, you know, going where I, I want to go with it. But um, before we actually jump into that, could you all just describe or kind of let our uh, listeners know who is Jones Road Beauty? Like, what, what do you, what do you guys do? Who do you serve? Like, kind of just give us a little bit of background and context on that as well. Joanne? <laughs> sure. So, uh... Jones Road Beauty is founded by Bobby Brown. She is just a serial entrepreneur and absolute icon in the beauty space. And when she launched Jones Road, she wanted to do things completely different. And so if you look at our products, they're, they're very untraditional from what is on the market today. You know, we have the Miracle Balm, which is a tinted balm that you can wear on your face to tint the skin. You can wear it to correct foundation. Like there's, there's just nothing like it on the market. And she just, she sees something she knows the market so well, she sees something and then she wants to make it and then it's done, you know? And so our products are just so differentiated around what's on the market. And that causes us to do a lot of education when it comes to these types of products. And that is why CX and retention pair so well together at Jones Road, because I can go to the CX team and figure out what questions our customers having about these products, what issues they're seeing. I take that information and then I use that to convert zero-time purchasers into one-time purchasers or help people who have just purchased the product use it successfully. And so that is kind of where the key to CX and retention comes into play with this incredible brand that Bobby has founded with different products that nobody else is really seeing. Eli, would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think that so much of our customer base are people that have been following Bobby since since the early days of of Bobby Brown, right? These are people that have been following her for 20, 30 years and are excited about not just the the vision of Bobby, but the mission of the brand, right? Where where our goal is to make people feel good about the way they look without necessarily needing to cover everything up, right? And th this is also Bobby's kind of journey. I mean, she's written a, a dozen-ish books about, you know, confidence and beauty and, and people feeling great the way they are. So I think there's, there's a lot of that kind of generational following that we see, you know, customers that not just are excited about the brand for their, for their own self, but are bringing their, their daughters and their, and their net, you know, like their, their nieces, et cetera, um, just bringing in family. And, and I think that's super interesting and exciting. And I think the other thing to say is like most brands in our space are kind of like looking at the market and deciding what they should create versus, you know, Bobby, it's it's not just the 30 years of experience, but it's it's these like customer kind of stories that live in her mind. And she's thinking about product creation, not by looking at NPS scores, but by like, I know what the market needs because I've been living this and breathing this for so long. So I think it's, we see it over and over again, where we'll create a product and we're like, is this going to slap as hard as we think it will? And then it goes viral and we sell out a year's, a year's worth of inventory in three weeks. And I think it's just, it's a testament to, like she knows she she knows what works and what doesn't and she knows what the market's looking for and and every product that we like a cleanser and a stick like is that it and it's like it's clearly it 
Um, so mm-hmm. I think it's just, it's fascinating to kind of, for me, I've never been, obviously never been in beauty, but also never been um, working alongside somebody who's a serial entrepreneur that's been doing this. You know, she's built a billion dollar brand and is now working on doing it again. I think it's, that's kind of Jones Road, right? It's, it's, it's a new approach to what Bobby spent her entire career doing. Um, it's clean, it's, it's fun, it's new, it's different. Um, and it's, it's, it's testament to how we think about everything, not just, not just brand and product, but also obviously like the entire customer journey. Um, we're always kind of looking to do things differently, so. Today's episode of the Tega Podcast is brought to you by Wonderment, the easiest way to proactively set expectations on shipping timeframes, automatically update customers with delays, and measure shipping expectation versus reality across the business. Wonderment is a retention Swiss Army knife used by hundreds of leading Shopify merchants, including The Ridge, Boxu, Igloo, Feastables, Jones Road Beauty, and more. Whether you're looking to improve your customer experience, retention marketing, or both, Wonderment will turn your post-purchase shipping experiences into a channel that helps to bring your customers back again and again. Tyka podcast listeners can receive a free trial of Wonderment by visiting wonderment.com demo and let them know that Blake sent you. And now, back to the show. I love that. I think that like the really what I what I see, you know, from even hearing from that is just the the ethos of the of of what you do and CX and retention is a direct embodiment of how the the brand has been built and also to I mean really like the customer that you're serving and also I you know I worked with some beauty and cosmetics brands when I was at an agency and I can tell you like what I was doing I feel like doesn't even compare to the the brand that you guys are really building and the experience that you're building and it's really special to see um, and I think it's a huge you know just sort of like uh, opportunity for folks to learn I think what great looks like from from what you really have been implementing and I'd love to dive a little bit more into that you kind of touched on some of these things things and themes already but. Um, I know this is a very broad question, but just any kind of thoughts around this, but how do you two think of the intersection of customer experience and retention marketing? Like how do you um, sort of work together, I, I guess, day in and day out? I think, you know, doing retention for, for four years now, I haven't worked closely with the CX team like I have at Jones Road. And there's a huge difference between the marketing that I put out when I'm not working with the CX team to now what I'm doing. And it all just comes down to education. You know, Bobby did a masterclass on on beauty. She knows what she's talking about. Her whole ethos is just making people feel good and educating them on how to on how to use makeup products. And so when it comes to CX and retention, I am my ethos is education as well. I just want to make sure that everybody knows how to use the product successfully and can feel good and look good while wearing them. And so that's where I see the intersection is just the passing of communication for what's working, what's not working, and how can I then communicate that to our customers to ensure that they're going to be here for the long run. When yeah, you think that was about, spot on. When you think about that too, like, you know, some of the things that I think uh, are really important is really around, you know, feedback loops and sort of the the touch points that you both have with the customer. I mean, Eli, your team, Joanne, your team, and what, what you're doing and sort of this kind of convergence of the two. How do you take feedback from both sides of the house and and then figure out sort of like how to improve things like company messaging, um, the customer experience, like all of those things as well? I think uh, that's a great question, Blake. And I think taking a step back, right, like the 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 kind of broader understanding of retention for most brands is this like let's watch people step away and and spam them to get them back. Um, I think when we think about retention, what it is on on a more holistic level, it's it's the understanding of when a customer buys a product they like, they if it fill, if it fills a need, they'll buy it again. Right. Like nobody forgot about your 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 refrigerated matcha beverage. They it just wasn't that great. Right. So I think that's the key there is like if the product's good you delivered what you promised, um, the expectation met reality, they'll, they'll come back again. And, and when a retention team is kind of operating at, at this level, at, at a, you know, at a, at a business our size, you have, to, you have to act really quickly, right? It's like you're getting this data, but is this noise or is it data, right? So there's a qualitative, the quantitative, where we're measuring things like customer effort score and NPS and, and CSAT. And it's like one angry customer saying like this smelled awful doesn't necessarily mean it's, it could be a them problem, right? So you have to look at the quantitative as like, is this, sure. is this an issue that it smelled and you didn't expect it to smell where we can educate? Or is this like a problem you had with the smell? So I think there's that, right? Like we're, we're consistently looking across the customer journey and it's, it's retention, right? It's like, 
the messaging that we send after people purchase a product, but it's also growth, right? It's it's also the ads, right? And and that's something Cody and I work very closely with Brian. It's like, let's look at the customer surveys and the data and understand like how can we position this kind of piece of feedback differently in the ad copy so that people understand that we're solving this problem before they have the problem, right? So it's like thinking all the way from the beginning of like, if Miracle Bomb addresses these three things and our foundation addresses these three things, like how can we kind of like put that all the way at the beginning, both to solve a problem and to like address potential objections. But I think Joanne is is also thinking about this as a growth marketer when we're looking at abandoned carts. It's like, what, what objections are we seeing customers having as to like, Hey, I bought this. I thought it would be X, and it turned out to be Y. How can we address that differently in in our in our kind of abandoned cart? And I think, you know, retention also, especially at Jones, is this very holistic journey through the experience um, with our brand, right? And I think customers are like, okay, from the welcome flow, how are we teaching you about the brand? Not in a way of like this is the story and we're shoving it down your throat, but what does Jones Road story mean to you? Like, how is that? How is that exciting for you? And then it's like. The abandoned cart, the post-purchase, the campaigns we're sending out, it all feels like this kind of like hand-holding the customer through the journey with the brand. Um, and obviously customer experience is like where they lash out and they say, this sucks, or like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And it's everything from like a weekly, you know, on, on a very practical level, right? It's everything from a weekly presentation that I put together on all things CX, like what, what are we learning both macro and micro, as well as Joanne hopping into our survey tool and kind of scrolling through hundreds of reviews, you know, we she'll filter anything that's like cleansing stick and go through hundreds of complaints or positive negative feedback and use that go through our Junip reviews, right? It's like, it's very, very macro and micro, which is, I guess, like the, the fun and, and wacky part of this, right? It's like, there's always more data, but it's like, how do you, how do you ascertain what data is important first noise? I think that's like the trickiest part of, of both CX retention is, I think most marketers aren't great at that. Like, how do you, how do you define what's like this customer is so angry, they hate our product versus like, this is a real problem. Right. Yeah. I think that, um, you brought up so many great points that we can kind of, I think, jump off into, but Joanna, I was just curious if you have any thoughts to kind of add to that as well. No, I, I echo everything that Eli said. Um, at Jones, like we're, we're focused on multiple touch points, you know, we're not looking it would be great to pull in that first customer on the first welcome series email. You know, if they purchased on the fourth, fifth or sixth, then we know that that LTV of that customer is higher because we're able to track that. And so we are focused on multiple touch points because we want to educate the customer across all boards of, you know, FAQs to our story, to what, what products customers are loving when they first come in. And so we're looking at everything from a much wider angle than I think sometimes people can take a microscopic lens and, and focus on one thing at one time. We're, we're taking a couple steps back at a little points, especially in the beginning of the customer journey. Absolutely. And one thing I, I wanted to just kind of zoom in on with this is Eli, you mentioned it, Joanne, you mentioned it too, but a lot of like looking for trends, data, like I know this can be really easy to look at the wrong things. I, I remember, you know, even in my early days as a retention marketer, I looked at a lot of the wrong things, honestly, and I wasn't aware uh, of kind of the, the things that weren't really moving the needle forward. It took me some time to really figure that out. And so what metrics do you two look at then to tell the larger story of customer retention? Um, you know, and then from this data, like what kind of questions emerge and, and how do you really take action on some of those things as well? I mean, we're looking at a multiple multiple different angles of when it comes to data and how we're using it in retention. We're using cart basket analysis where we're seeing which products people are coming in on and then their second and third purchase, what those products look like. We're looking at the time distance between purchases so that way we can accurately time out different messages within our flows. So there's many, many different data points that we're looking at. LTV per cohort. I mean, Eli, you can probably mention a couple more. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's always interesting to me how you can kind of go way too deep on the data or not look at the data at all. Um, I think that that runs the gamut. But um, I think in our case, it's like with such a vast uh, skew situation we have going on, like there's there are so many kind of like different, I, I guess like the, a good example, right? Uh, mascara is like, it's, it's not super expensive. Um, we've seen the data tells us a story that people that hop in on mascara have significantly higher LTV. So the thought process from both a retention marketer and a growth marketer is like, 
that'll be the first thing we upsell in our, in our, in our, you know, upsell tool, right? Because it's like, we know that if you, whatever you buy, if you have mascara in there is a high, very high likelihood that you'll end up liking that. So it's like, even if, you know, Miracle Balm is a little more difficult to use, mascara is one of those things. So thinking about, you know, like Joanne said, like there are a couple of like LTV and, and cohort analysis and, and looking at, you know, where they came from, right? The source of the of the traffic, um, what they've purchased before, how long they've taken between two orders, and then overall, like what percentage of revenue is coming from email and SMS versus new customer acquisition, et cetera. I think the other really important thing that we're thinking about over over the next couple of months and into the new year is is there an ideal customer journey? Um, mm -hmm. Is there an ideal journey that we, you know, if, if customers come in on our foundation, now we have another 39 products that we can sell them. Um, most retention marketers are like, okay, what is the easiest way to get the most money the quickest? Um, which is why, and this is like my, my biggest pet peeve and, and I don't stop ranting about it is like, this is why upsell is so hot, right? It's like their wallets open. Let me see how much more money I can squeeze. So let me upsell them before they add it to the cart on the slide cart. Let me upsell them in the actual shopping cart. Let me do a cart hook post-purchase upsell. And then. I just ordered from a brand last week before I even got my product. I was sent multiple campaigns of selling me more shit, right? So, and and that's, and the data, and Cody and I talk about this often, like the data tells us this story, right? That if, if a customer ordered from you, they're much more likely to purchase again within 18 days. days. And it's like, yeah. or whatever that is. And I'm like, respectfully, um, like fuck the data for a second. And let's think about it from a consumer perspective. It's like, is this ideal? Like, is this an yeah. ideal journey? Imagine you walk into a Whole Foods, you buy a can of Olipop and on the way out, they're like, you should grab another one. And I'm like, I've, I've never tried it. Like, let me go and drink this. And then you can, and I think that we've, we've isolated data from like reality very often because it's like, yeah. well, the data will tell us the story, but the data doesn't tell us how customers feel about your brand when you spam them 19 times in six days before they even got their product. And that's mm -hmm. kind of this broader I mean, my obsession with with having retention and CX live together and holistically across the business is that we're not just looking at how much money we can squeeze tomorrow. We're looking at like Black Friday retention, I mean, carried massively. Like we brought in a crazy amount of revenue from 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 repeat customers. Some of them haven't purchased 150, 250, 300 plus days, right? So it's like we've taken this approach of going going slow and along a broader customer journey versus just spam, spam, spam. Um, and now I'm rambling and going way off topic, but, um, <laughs> this the is basic, great. This is great. no, the basic gist is like, I think there's, there's this, there is this small Venn diagram of like the things that work and the things that don't make your brand look desperate and gross. Um, and that's what we're always looking for is like, okay, if there is like, for example, mascara is our example here of like, we know if customers grab mascara within order number one or two, they have a higher likelihood of having higher LTV. So it's not the most expensive product like if somebody spends 65 dollars, can we upsell them to buy three different miracle bomb shades and have them spend 107 dollars on their second order probably right. is there a high likelihood they buy all three of them and absolutely hate it also probably but if yeah, we sure. kind of go smaller and we say okay spend 84 dollars on your next order and grab a mascara sparkle wash and a whatever else um that's the kind of thought processes that that joanne has every day is like how can we how can we do things that make sense both like and we'll get the money from them, right? So like our best customers are buying 12, 19, 24 times, but it's not, it's not over three orders. So, you know, instead of like getting $300, never seeing them again, we're, we're getting a hundred dollars per order over 19 orders. And I think the long game we're playing is, I mean, not, I think I, I know that it's, it's serving us quite well. And when the growth marketers hop on the, uh, hop on the Twitter comments and say like, but you could have gotten more money quicker. It's like, yeah, I mean, you can also sell your brand to private equity and and move to the Bahamas and kind of <laughs> you know kind of live your life there. I mean, it's just it it depends on the game you're playing, and the game we're right. playing is is a game of legacy and a and a really incredible brand that we're building. Um, mm -hmm. And less so, like how can we squeeze an extra five? Um, right. I think you. No, you said that, that very well. <laughs> yeah, I think you could put that on a T-shirt. To be honest, I, it's just um, can we I sell like... the T-shirt? <laughs> Maybe upsell it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it seems to me you guys are playing on like chess while a lot of folks are playing checkers. And I feel like it's really just the right approach, to be honest. And there's so much um, just thought and data and insight into that strategy. And it really shows, I mean, you guys have thought all of this out and that it definitely speaks volumes, I think, to the success that you all are seeing. 
And Joanne, I'm, I'm curious. Um, so Eli talked a lot about that and creating the right customers, essentially, and thinking about how to like really maximize that LTV. Um, I think the retention marketing narrative being pushed by a lot of SaaS companies, and we won't name names, but is really <laughs> that customer buys product. You know, you send them an email or text. They're so stoked to see it. You know, hey, we're going to cross sell you, buy more. Customer thinks it's so personalized. They buy in their customer for life. I mean, that's really the, the narrative that's been peddled, I think, in a lot of high level education. And so I know I'm being a bit dramatic here, but I, I actually think many folks don't really know quite the order of operations when it comes to post-purchase communication. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you think about like what what actually matters post-purchase? Like what do you try to get in front of a Jones Road customer to make sure that they have a great experience and that this doesn't feel like some kind of, you know, pushy or just really inauthentic sort of um, e-commerce strategy? Absolutely. And this is such a timely question because me and Eli and our coworker Sydney just redid our our post-purchase flows. So this is perfect timing. But when it comes to our main products, we looked at our top sellers and the return reasons for those top top three products. And what we did was we took those return reasons and we educated right before the package gets to their house. And so it says, you know, thanks for purchasing Miracle Bomb. Here are application tips. Here's how you apply it for your skin type, dry, normal, balanced. There's different ways that you have to apply these products depending on your skin type. So it's very helpful to know that before the package arrives. And then we have, you know, another section of how to use it with other products. If they purchase, you know, lip and cheek stick, if they purchase the light moisture cream, there's so many different, you know, hide show blocks that we can incorporate into this post-purchase to help the customer use the product correctly. So then that way they see success with that product. And so when it comes to post-purchase, we've looked at those return reasons. We've identified why a customer might not see success with this product. And we've laid it all out and we've set super clear expectations on all of these, all of our top sellers. And so that's a good starting point. If you're a new brand trying to, you know, put up your post-purchase, start with your best sellers where the majority of your, of your orders are coming from. Start there educate your subscribers as much as possible and you will see a longer return. And so starting with education and then coming into using the product with different, different products, just like I said. So Miracle Bomb with what the foundation or face pencil with eye cream. That's the way that we're looking at it right now. That's awesome. I think that uh, that's super fascinating to hear how you kind of approach that. And, and Eli, I'm, I'm interested too in hearing like when you sat down with Joanne, you were figuring this out. What did you bring to the table to kind of make sure that you were getting across everything from the CX side of the house too? Yeah, I, Blake, I first want to give props to your your spicy take before um, <laughs> with the SaaS companies. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a, it's important, it's an important point to ponder on of like this, this kind of green lush grass of personalization is going to solve all your problems. Like that's the reason yeah. why people aren't buying your. I don't know, $47 SPF. It's because like the email didn't say like, hey, Eli, um, right. which is comical, right? It's like, no, customers want personalization. No, they don't. They don't. They, they want content that's valuable. And I think that's sure. kind of like, it, I mean, Joanne nailed it, right? It's like they, want, they, they purchased a product because they think it'll solve a problem for them. How can right. we ensure that we're solving that problem? So the, from the CX side of the house, we're seeing why people dislike products. So we're seeing the objections that they had. They didn't necessarily, you know, if somebody has an objection, there, there's some customers have an objection before ordering. They get that resolved and they order and they're like, oh, this is a great decision. Others have that objection and they have a moment of weakness where they're like, ah, I'll pull the trigger. I saw the ad again, I'll pull the trigger. But they're still kind of like, I don't know if this is going to work for me. So they're already, that coupled with this like regret, right after people purchase, um, those two together are pretty toxic. I think by the time you and add the 17 day shipping timeline, you're already kind of like thinking of like, here's like the stack of reasons why people are already not so excited by the time they get their product. So everything around post-purchase for me is, is like Joanne said, expectation setting. So we leveraged um, all the, like Joanne mentioned, all the return reasons, right? We know why people hate. If there is a, any reason why a few people hate these top three products. These are the reasons. Now, how can we tackle that proactively and say, like, if you have a pro- if you're having a problem that it's X, it's because you didn't necessarily put it on correctly. Now, Miracle Bomb is a great example because it's a brand new product. Nothing like that exists in the market, and we're like, y- y- there's no way you would know how to use it. You're like, okay, but Eli, I I put it on the website, and it's like, yeah, most people don't look at that. Well, I put it on right. the email. Yeah, most people don't open that. Like, even if you have sixty percent open rate, forty percent of your customers didn't open that. So it's like. Sure. 
hit them on SMS, hit them on email, maybe even in, in their unboxing. Um, it's our job to make sure in a non-spammy way, everyone understands what they're getting themselves into. And then on the CX side, right, it's not only giving all that information, but being open to addressing those problems as they come in. Um, worst case scenario, somebody has a problem, they reach out and you just reply with a generic response. So we're like, can we learn from the way we're tackling it with customers that it does work? Like this is the ideal way to tackle it. And then we're consistently kind of like, Sydney, who's a CX lead, will say like, hey, Eli, this is this tactic is really working. When people reach out with Miracle Bomb and say they have this issue, I handle it this way, it really works. And I say, Sydney, great, take that to Joanne um, and let's figure out a way to put that in, in post-purchase or in the abandoned cart. Or, and that's really the thought process is, you know, like Joanne said, if you have multiple touch points, like should this ideally go on the FAQ page? Should this go on the product page? Should this go on the email? So a good example of that. So we we are thinking about like, you know, customers order Miracle Bomb and they say, hey, I thought this would be more pigmented or this is way too pigmented. So they're just looking at shades on a computer. If their computer is kind of old and janky. Maybe the shades aren't coming across as clear. Is there a way to add text that explains the shade? Like this is a little, a pinkish, whatever, whatever, whatever. So um, that's the kind of thing that should probably go on the PDP um, sure. versus like, hey, don't put a full handful of this on your face if you've never used it. Like, I don't know that we need that on the PDP, but we should probably say like, start with a little bit on the emails. So I think that's always the thought process is like thinking of like most important to least important, but also like where in the customer journey should this be portrayed and, and visible? Um, and that's something that as a like kind of broader team, I think we have more leverage than most teams do in terms of like, everything from everyone from Cody, the CMO to like full leadership is, is all, they're all super customer obsessed and they're all like, you tell us what we should do and we'll, and we'll talk about it. So like we can impact changes on the PDP. We can impact changes on the FAQ. We can recreate post-purchase. I mean, nothing we're doing is super traditional, which is like my favorite part. Um, but I think the other thing, like I, both Joanne and I are super humble around like being proven completely wrong. Like we'll have this idea and we're like, this will definitely slay. And then it's like <laughs> the narrator is like, nope. this did not slay. <laughs> um, we're like, You're like, all I, right, back to the drawing board. It happens. I guess we'll do you something know, else. Yeah. I think that, that um, you, you said like, just really, I feel like so much of what I'm hearing and seeing too, from other, you know, CX and retention teams too, is like, I think Jess from Feastables, I mentioned like yeah. be a thousand steps ahead of your customer. Like she always is saying that. And um, it's sort of like expectation versus reality too. Like we can live in this vacuum and assume that our one educational email is going to, you know, hit everything. But like, you know, I mean, you said it, I mean, even if you get 60% open rates, there's 40% of your customers that have no idea what they're getting into. And I'm curious to understand maybe too, like, um, you know, when someone's waiting for their Jones road to arrive, you know, say they're a first time customer, like that time between purchase and like, arrival, how important is that for you both? And what are you, I mean, you've kind of touched on a lot of it already, but like, are, are there things that you're thinking about and really kind of trying to iterate on over time to make sure that that first time customer experience is as great as it can possibly be? Yeah, I mean, we we look at email and SMS as two separate channels. And so the content that we're sending on SMS for post-purchase does look different than email. Email's a little bit more formal, much more educational, has a lot more photo descriptions. But for SMS, we want to use call to actions that, you know, go to a TikTok of Bobby applying Miracle Bomb or WTF or say you order what the foundation, here's a TikTok of Bobby explaining that you need to stir the product to avoid separation, which is a lot more mobile friendly than email, which could be on desktop or, or mobile, I guess. But we're, we're viewing these channels differently at the end of the day. And so when it does come to that post-purchase, it's education, first of all, but also setting the customer up to feel like they're a community and, and reduce that buyer's remorse, which is why we have a fantastic Facebook group that we also push to our first-time purchasers, second-time purchasers to join this group, to, to be involved in this community of people who love these different products that are on the market and how they're using them. And it's creating, and me and Eli, we're, we're really starting to create this small community of people that we can give a very special experience to. And it's it's been really working out for us so far. I love that. I think um, there's definitely a lot of this really 
um, themes I think I'm kind of hearing throughout this conversation of really kind of how you see the world and think about, you know, this kind of convergence of CX and retention. It's something I didn't get to ask, uh, but I definitely wanted to touch on, I think, because it's really special. I think about even like the pre-purchase experience. And I feel like also setting the expectation for what they're getting into is um, you have two things on the site that I think are really awesome. And I'm seeing more brands do this, but it's um, these pre-purchase quizzes that sort of educate and kind of get the customer a little bit more of a personalized recommendation. I think you're using Octane AI for that. Um, and then also on the uh, makeup artist match, that being able to actually talk to somebody or get more of like that kind of one-to-one outreach. Um, can you both just talk a little bit more about that and how that even might influence customers from a retention standpoint of like making them feel a little bit more um, of a personalized one-to-one kind of experience? Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy that over 80% of our email list has taken our quiz. And wow. so when they're coming into our list, they're, they're very qualified. I have information, everything from their skin tone to their skin type to how they want to use the product. And so when it comes to that post-quiz flow, it makes it so easy for me to, to really sell them on this product because we are overcoming their number one objection of, is the, will this work for me? And so right off the bat, we're able to really sell them the product in a way that most marketers can't because of this zero party data that we're getting. And then we always have shade matching as a fallback, you know, a a personalized text-based email from one of our CXers saying, Hey, if this, like, if you're still unsure about if this is going to work for you, the shade matching, whatever it might be, feel free to send me a, a selfie in natural lighting. And I'd be more than happy to shade match you. And so that personal one-on-one, I got your back, I think really, you know, seals the deal and ties ties the bow when it comes to people coming in and that giving them a really personalized experience right off the bat. That's awesome. And Eli, I'm curious too, like when folks reach out for something like that, I mean, what kind of conversations are you having? Do people typically open up there? Is that an opportunity to kind of engage further? Like what's kind of going on there with, with sort of those customer kind of conversations? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, you know, sending a, a makeup free selfie to a brand that you've never spoken to is kind of courageous um i think that kind of is a is a good way to kind of open up a conversation um it's vulnerable it's 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 open it's it's different right i don't think many brands are doing that um what we've seen is is like a tremendous increase in ltv um i think it was like 111 percent increase uh, over like 90 day ltv just from people that kind of send their send their um selfie and to get shade matched but i think that the kind of more important point here um is that we're thinking about personalization not in this janky way of like hey eli um or hey first name like you um, you saw this you should yeah. get this it's it's not like that at all <laughs> right yeah which i think is is kind of is kind of what we're obsessed with and and you can see it's it's what makes us super excited to be doing this right we're thinking about personalization as like and this is overdone, right? Like everyone's like, right message, right person, right time. But but it's true, right? It's like if I get a message that feels out of left field, a good example, when I purchased, when, what I mentioned before, like I purchased something from a brand that was my first purchase and they're already selling me new shit. And I'm like, I, I don't, I'm not there yet, right? So it's like for us, it's like, where are you in your customer journey? And and Joanne is like the the queen of the hide show blocks um, on Clavia, <laughs> where it's like based on where you are in your journey, you're getting it. We can send a message to 300,000 people um, and it'll kind of look differently. It'll look six different ways based on what they've purchased or what they haven't purchased. And I mean, even the email we sent out today was like, you know, the bottom of it had a block around like joining our community, um, which is so exciting. And it's just like, that's it's from a tactical perspective, like Joanne's a, a one person team, uh, sending emails to a million plus people. Like, I don't think people quite realize, um, the, the, the craziness, um, the sheer uh, incredibleness of, of Joanne Kofi. But um, I think it's just like pretty insane to be able to kind of copy and copy and paste these blocks and, and use that to personalize communication. And it shows, right? Like we, we drive an insane amount of revenue from email and SMS, both dollars wise and percentage wise, but it never feels spammy. So even when we're sending four emails a week, not a single customer is getting four emails a week. We're sending four emails and the max somebody gets is two or three. So it's mm-hmm. 
it's thoughtful and it's not just kind of spray and pray. And I, it, for me, it's always so exciting because my whole career, um, prior to being a retention person and just being a, a CX person, my entire career was like, there has to be a better way to do this. Like, there's no way that JC Penny is like the, 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 the one. Like, that's not the method. Like, sending three emails a day, like Wayfair is doing, like that obviously makes money, but that's not the only way. So I think right. that's also important. It's like, yeah, you can drive a ton. Like, if you if you're a brand owner and you're every time you send an email, you drive five thousand dollars in revenue. I mean, you have to have a lot of self-control to leave money on the table and not send it. And maybe you should. Like, maybe you should keep sending it until people want to kind of unsubscribe and send you a bill in the mail. Like, maybe maybe you should do that. But I think it's it's clear to us that there is a better way. And there's a way that works really well. And we're driving... When we stepped up our sends, like, we... There was a short period of time where we started sending more. We didn't drive more revenue. Like, we we didn't drive more revenue. So I think it's it's doing it in a thoughtful way that's really kind of paying dividends for us but um it's all joanne i'm just i i keep saying it's like joanne's world we're just living in it it's kind of the <laughs> i love the reality it. here yeah i mean major hats off to you joanne honestly i uh to be able to be masterful in the hide show blocks and clavio that is that is pretty cool as well i, I hate mean... them let's just say that right now it's <laughs> such a bitch to do <laughs> so annoying but they, but they pay off but yeah, they pay off a hundred percent and i think eli what you were saying too around you know like this kind of addiction that brands have, I think, too, and this is more I think of an agency tactic than a brand tactic, honestly, but like this addiction that we have to revenue and sort of this like, and Joanne, I'm kind of curious your, your thoughts on this too, but like, I mean, SMS has to be 20.5% of total on re online revenue. Email has to be 30% of total online revenue, like all these different things that you're hearing narratives around. Um, do you ever think in that context of like these channels have to drive a revenue number or is it like, and it seems like you're playing the more holistic approach here, but um, I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts when you hear things like that? Yeah, and that's a fantastic question. I, I do have KPIs, but there's no strict pressure from either Eli or Cody to hit them. They're more of a benchmark for us to say, this is our strategy. This is our sending frequency and our efficiency and our volume. How close are we with the strategy that we're doing to hitting these, these KPIs? Every single month, we come pretty damn close. And these are very hard to reach KPIs. And so just because I don't hit them one month doesn't mean that I'm not going to hit them the next month. It doesn't mean that we completely re-strategize and send out 10 emails, you know, in a week. It's, it's more of a benchmark for us. We are looking at these numbers, but we're not just basing our decision off of if we're hitting our KPIs or not. And that's something that not a lot of brands do. And I'm very grateful to have mentors on my team like Cody and Eli that give me this freedom to have this approach of like personalized marketing where I can send what I want when I want but also keep me in line of hey like maybe we should try increasing our volume this this week to see where this lands like our, our communication and our style of marketing is is just very in line most times so it's it's been good. That's amazing that, um, you know, the whole team has that outlook too. I think, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think we're seeing like kind of, you know, headwinds going this way, but I think it's definitely still a long way to go with our addiction to, to revenue. I think at all costs, it seems like, um, now this is sort of a, a I think a hot take question, Joanne. I'm, I'm just curious for some, oh, some gosh, don't, the two of you. don't put me in the hot seat. <laughs> I think most, most of retention marketing, I think historically is talked about managing email, SMS, loyalty programs. When is it not going to be just channel based? And if you didn't have these tools, what would you be doing? Oh gosh, if I didn't have these tools, I I mean I would do in person events. You know, Avon, Mary Kay, they built their they built their brands on going into these people's houses and building these one on one connections with men and women alike. And and I can totally foresee that happening again down the line. Maybe not going into their houses, but you know, master classes, in-person events. We we hosted our first influencer event in our office not too long ago, just to build these connections with these micro nano influencers. And it it did wonders for us just to see people face to face and to watch Bobby educate people on how to do makeup. It's it's the root of of who we are as people. We we need that face to face interaction. And so, if I think you know, email went away, SMS went away. We're Jones Road. We still want to sell makeup. I think that we would go back to that in-person events. 
that's awesome. I, I think that's a really great, um, you know, outlook on it. And I know, obviously, that's a very uh, dystopian view of, you know, obviously, just channels <laughs> will, will never go away. But I, I'm always right. curious, like, how how kind of, you know, folks think about that. Um, you too, this has been amazing just to chat, I think, and kind of see your world. And we've talked about a lot of themes being customer obsessed, you know, obviously, this convergence of really CX and retention and, and really taking this kind of feedback loop and actually taking action on it. And now, like, kind of as we wrap up and looking to the future, um, what does the future of CX and retention look like? I mean, I know it's, again, a broad question, but what do you really think is going to be 2023 and beyond looking like? Oh, gosh, Eli, what does your crystal ball say? Um, wow. I'm glad you didn't ask me the Joanne question because I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> the, the the Mary Kay Avon was a good was a good pull there. Um, I mean, I think directionally, what we're seeing is, you know, the iOS fourteen point five or whatever, like you know, kind of tracking on email, open deliverability, like all that stuff. Like directionally, where are we heading? Uh, spam is not going to live as long as it is right now. So I think you know, carriers are getting better. So what have we done as a as a e commerce society? We've said, oh. SMS is the is the solve here. Like that, you can't not open a text. And it's like, yeah, you can be really annoying on text. Most brands are doing that. I've unsubscribed from probably 95 brands over Black Friday because I haven't heard a word from them. And all of a sudden, I got seven texts, right? So I think sure. directionally, we, we've said like, oh, email's dead. Uh, SMS is where it all happens now. It's like SMS is instant revenue. You click send, you make money. Um, but email, like the spam, all the difficulties, which obviously both of that is it's ludicrous. But I think directionally, we're heading towards abusing platform after platform until people realize that intentional messaging is probably the correct way. It's like, if you wouldn't want to get, I mean, like if you're listening Wayfair, um, I'd love to understand, like, is that fun for you? Like, is it fun for you to get nine emails about a couch? Um, because I, I think directionally, like that's where we're heading as customers. It's like, if, if you did, if you really strongly dislike this with a vengeance, like why are you sending it to somebody else? Right. So I think, something that we think about so often is like every email like is this helpful like is this any is this any sort of helpful or are we just like copying and pasting something we've said and just putting a spin on it and trying to get revenue um i think that's directionally where we're heading is like brands that don't go intentional and that's kind of cx as well like if you're just kind of spraying and praying policy on cx side and not kind of like viewing customers holistically um an email if you're just kind of spraying and praying and shooting out campaigns as fast as you possibly can i think those will all die and it's like we're like oh but they've lasted 10 years yeah but things have changed right um, i mean you look at 2016 with long form content you know the era of youtube and beauty influencers people would watch these half hour long launch videos where an influencer would be talking about a collab and you'd watch the whole thing and now we're on this trend of such short form 15 second or less content you know, like that's the now it's this quick digestible content what's going to come who knows you know like short form is what it's at right now i could see long form coming back into play maybe five years down the line who knows but it's you have to just be quick to adapt and say what are the consumers looking at and viewing right now and and shift your strategy to to accommodate that those are the brands that are going to survive in the long run that's very true. And I think, um, you know, it'll be very interesting to see what shakes out with channels right now in 2023. And like everyone's um, 2021, 22, everyone is just jumping on the SMS train. And now we're at a point now where I'm really curious to see, like, how does consumer behavior even change too? Um, are people tired out of SMS? Are people tired out of all these different mediums? Like, I know direct mail is like coming back. I was just on a panel the other day, we were talking about the egregious waste of direct mail. Um, there's no easy unsubscribe button from direct mail. Um, but I, I think it's an interesting kind of thing. But I feel like all this to say, the better answer is what we talked about today. And having this convergence of your teams, having great feedback loops, and really making I feel like just a better educated strategy around what you're doing and not just hoping that one channel is going to save the day for you. So um, my last question for you both is, what is one bet that you're really making in 2023 at JRB? One bet. Could be many, but I'm just one, <laughs> one, 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 one of the biggest ones, if any. I mean, we'll triple our revenue next year. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think we'll definitely do that. But, um, well, fingers crossed. But uh, 
we're, we're taking a strong bet on community. I mean, we, yeah. we were not big community people and we started something um, that came out of a conversation I had with Cody and we kind of kept it super, super, super quiet beta um, for a couple of weeks, but we've kind of started pushing it in the last two months and we've, we've just passed 7,000 people. I mean, like on 7,000 people, the conversion rate of people clicking a link and purchasing from the, our roadies communities, like 15%, like it's, it's ridiculous. Like we, we mm-hmm. had a thousand members and sold a hundred products. Like we, we just, it's super, super intense. So the vision there, and, and I guess like our big bet for next year, like the vision, my insane vision in my brain, which I felt uncomfortable talking about six months ago was like, imagine you walk into a room and 95 people are eating donuts and you're from the five people that aren't like, it's pretty likely you'll go buy a donut. Um, so if we can put like 95 super fans that own 75 products from Jones Road in a room, um, in a virtual room, and then kind of slowly let in the newbies and turn them into super fans, which signs, it sounds kind of cult creative, <laughs> cult creation strategy, maybe. But um, I think that's, it's, and that's kind of what we did, right? So at the beginning, we right. were adding super fans and now it's on our post-purchase uh, survey. Um at the end of our survey, uh, you can join and we're kind of joins adding it to like the end of emails every every now and then. But um, it's fascinating to see like, again, we have like 7,000 people in the group, but like some of these posts are getting 700, 800 likes, crazy. Um, which is wild. Like I, not in my wildest dreams and huge shout out to Sydney on, on the CX side, who's kind of moderating this from start to finish and spends hours of her day there. But we're we're strongly betting on on community in 23, but also in person events. Like we're we're going to be hosting more influencer events and and thinking about more more retail locations. Like we're we're thinking about pushing more in person. Um, and obviously, like Joanne said, tripling our revenue. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, a cop out answer, but <laughs> I will. I, will I think definitely... it's a strong answer. <laughs> Cody will love it. <laughs> yeah. So. 3x revenue and community will definitely well when we have you back on next year we'll, we'll be talking i'm sure about that um i was just talking to to ash the other the other week from avi about community on the show and, and sort of what that's done for avi and i'm uh really excited to hear what you're already seeing too from some of those early learnings and, and being able to actually have like those super fans and really that conversion rate's insane by the way i, I yeah. just absolutely insane um but you guys this has been amazing um where can people go to get in touch with the two of you Twitter. Yeah. My name is it's Joanne coffee, C O F F E Y. <laughs> and I am, uh, Eli Weiss, um, E L I W E I S S S, um, with an extra S because I apparently was not the original Eli Weiss. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll link out to both of those, uh, in the show notes, but you too, thank you so much. Um, this has been a blast and wishing you all the best in 2023, three X growth community. You're going to crush it. <laughs> I love it. Um, and also just on behalf of myself and the Wonderman team, we really appreciate you and, and you guys have been great customer to us. So just thank you so much for, for being such great people, um, and for being great voices in the D2C community as well. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Blake. Amazing. Thank you so much.